Fed Talks is a podcast for theater teachers and theater education students. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Chrisman, theater education professor at Illinois State University. Each week I bring you stories and interviews from experienced K-12 theater teachers, current theater education majors, professors of theater education, and teaching artists that will warm your heart, renew your faith in teaching, and provide resources to better your practice in your theater classroom. So grab your coffee or glass of wine, plug in your headphones, or turn up your car stereo, and relax. Thanks for joining me for these heartwarming conversations and practical advice from other theater teachers on the front lines making a difference in their students' lives each and every day. I am very excited to welcome to the podcast for this episode, Colin Andrulanis. He uh, spent some time in New York uh, teaching middle school and uh, doing the New York thing with his wife, who's a professional actor out there. And now he's taking on a brand new position at the University of Central Oklahoma as the head of theater education. So we've got a lot we're going to dig into with that. And uh, I just I'm excited to talk with you. Welcome, Colin. And uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of your journey to where we are now. Yeah, well, good morning, Jimmy. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I could go back as far as you want. <laughs> uh, just I've I've done theater my whole life. Um, it just was one of those things. I'm sure most people can relate that are into it. It just kind of chooses you, you know. And I was just that kid who was forcing my cousins and my friends to be in backyard productions, <laughs> and, but. You know, I didn't even really need an audience. I just needed to create. Um, I don't know what it was. It was just always in me. So my my parents smartly got me involved in community theater um, at, at nine or ten, and uh, that was the Chickasha Community Theater in Oklahoma. And it just really shaped me and shaped my passions, shaped my love for creating. And really, uh, it was just one of those things that I was like, let me just absorb everything I can from this. I want to know how the lights work. I want to know how the costumes are chosen. I want to know how the tickets are sold. Like I wanted to know every aspect. Um, it was just kind of a burning passion inside me. And I, I don't know where it came from or why, but it was always there. Um, and then at 14, I had a, a life-changing English teacher um, in uh, English, um, Mr. Houston. I'm sure maybe we'll dive into that a little later, but he really awakened something inside me that said, okay, I think I want to teach. I want to help people feel what I'm feeling. Um, and, and I wanted to combine it with my passion for theater. So at 14, I, I knew what my life trajectory was going to be. Um, so I went to school at the University of Central Oklahoma, got a theater ed degree, got a master's in education there, taught four years in Oklahoma, taught middle school, um, because that's what was available and just fell in love with that age group. Um, and was pretty firmly rooted in Oklahoma, I thought, for the rest of my life. All my family's here, and uh, then I met my soon-to-be wife also at UCO, and she had aspirations to go to work and do the Broadway thing and asked me very early on, you know, are you in or out? Because this is what I have to do. So I said, I'm in. Let's do it. So, and I, I probably wasn't that... <laughs> enthusiastic you know it was scary it was very <laughs> scary for me but um yeah so we we moved out to new york city in 2013 and i got a job at a, a small little middle school in the bronx and the principal was looking for someone to basically build a program they had nothing they had no arts no electives really um and so that's what i did for eight years and it was really the highlight of my life and my my greatest pleasure and one of the things i'll probably be the most proud of for the rest of my life 
Um, and then we just kind of started missing family and she had done the Broadway thing for about a decade. And it was just a lot of signs pointing us back towards Oklahoma. So um, that's kind of when we started toying around with the idea. Then COVID just kind of ripped the bandaid for us and said, this is a great time to do it, make the shift. So we are back in Oklahoma and I'm going full circle now back to the University of Central Oklahoma. The same degree program I came through, I will be uh, the coordinator for that program and um, teaching, you know, future theater educators and coaching them during their student teaching. And I'm um, really looking forward to it. Start officially tomorrow. So that's kind of <laughs> that kind of brings us to where we are today. Maybe a lot more than you needed to know, but no, that's great. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about uh, your community theater beginnings and just kind of what what things, if any, are you noticing that that instilled in you that you you brought into the the classroom with you? Honestly, for me, the biggest thing was not really the theatrical lessons I learned, but more the community, like the the team, the team aspect, and the the different types of people I got to meet and interact with. Um, because I, I was in a small town, so it was pretty homogenous, you know, overall. Um, but getting to meet people from all walks of life and realize the world was much bigger than my little bubble and people are different and different is beautiful. And that, that was really the biggest thing I was able to take with me and something I try to, to bring to my classroom is celebrating differences and, and not fighting them and not trying to hide them, but just really honoring them and seeing what each person contributes to the classroom culture is probably the biggest thing. Yeah. When uh, I'd love to hear a little more about uh, Mr. Houston and what, what, what did he do that was so different or what, what experience did he provide you that gave you that, that had that the teaching bug bite you during his classes? <laughs> yeah, I've tried, you know, in my, adulthood tried to put my finger on it um i think i was always good at school i was always you know well liked by my teachers and did good work but i think you know from elementary school up into seventh grade i was always very extrinsically motivated by pleasing my teachers like that made me happy to make them happy made me happy you know so i would if i if i went the extra mile on a project or if i did something super creative they praised that and I felt good that I was making them happy. And so that was kind of what was motivating me. But in when Mr. Houston's class, there was something about him that made me more intrinsically motivated. I wanted to learn for myself, for the sake of learning. I wanted to dig deeper into things, not to get a good grade and not to, to make Mr. Houston proud of me, although those were other goals, right. but some he lit some kind of fire in me that made me realize that learning is such a privilege and uh i i don't know i was just excited to learn on my off time because of him he there was he had some just passion about learning that just you know got right to my heart and that's something that i hope i'm able to do is to to light a fire in kids and just say whatever you are passionate about there's you know, a, a world to learn about it. And, and you get to, you know, set the own terms for your learning. So I, I think that's what I can see in retrospect that he did for me. 
Yeah, I I think for me it was my 11th grade English teacher as well. Um, we were doing American Lit during 11th grade, and mm-hmm. it was like Scarlet Letter, Glass Menagerie, Great Gatsby. Um, those were the, the the big books I remember from the class. But she, Miss Lingerfelt, she was maybe five foot two <laughs> on her best day, and she always was impeccably dressed. These giant glasses and probably five six inch stiletto heels every single day and she made the scarlet letter so interesting and so fun and like made me want to i went out and bought my own copy to dig into at home and read and so like i i I fully appreciate the what you just shared about the the intrinsic personal motivation that you had not not to impress but for your own learning you wanted to learn more you wanted to dig in more Uh, so yeah, I, I totally get that. Totally yeah. get that. And I don't know if you had this experience with your teacher that you just spoke about. When I first started teaching at 22, I was like, I'm going to be Mr. Houston. I'm going to, I'm going to dress the way he dressed and I'm going <laughs> to talk the way he talked. And, and then I was surprised that it didn't work. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I was like, what's happening? I'm Mr. Houston. I'm being like Mr. Houston. But you know, I started to realize I'm I'm never going to be Mr. Houston. I'm a second-rate Mr. Houston, so I'm not being you know the first-rate Mr. A, Mr. Andrelanus. So once I was able to find my own style and find my own way in, which was much different than him, right? Then I was able to start building those same connections. I feel like that he did for me. I, I don't know if you had a, a similar experience or not. I absolutely did. And for me, it was my, my mentor teacher from student teaching, Miss Mager. Um, I, I've mentioned it before on the show, but like I started my first year of teaching like you at 22 and I was supposed to be Miss Mager. I was supposed, she, she was a yeller. She, you know, she ruled with a really heavy hand and that didn't work for me. And I think back to the, those my students from that first year, and I'm like, I just want to go back and apologize to you all because I had no idea who I was as a teacher. I was figuring it out that entire year. Um, I had a great successful year, but like inside, I'm like, what is wrong? Why is this not working the way I think it should? But yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was when I quit trying to be Barbara that I was able to find who I was and, and start mapping that out for myself. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, you you taught middle school for for a while in Oklahoma um, before you moved to New York. Um, what what drew you to middle schoolers? Well, I think it's one of those things like theater. It just it it, it chose me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, in Oklahoma, uh, every high school has a theater program, and most middle schools do. Now, if you're high school teachers, usually once they get in those positions, they're kind of there to work. They, they don't give up those high school jobs very often. So mm-hmm. when I graduated, the only thing open really was middle school. Um, and so I thought, well, I'll do this for a couple of years and then I'll move up to high school when someone, you know, tires or whatever. Um, so I, yeah, but I did four years of middle school. And after about the second, I was kind of hooked that specific age group. There's something about them. They're, it's very hard. They're very challenging. Um, but I love the challenge for some weird reason. I, it's something about they're in that transition between childhood and young adulthood. You know, they're figuring out who they are. And it's a great time for your teacher to, to swoop in and, 
and say, let me help you figure out who you are, how to express who you are through this art form. So I, I just kind of stumbled into it and fell in love with it. And then when I went to New York, the, the theater programs in schools are actually very sparse, which surprised me. I kind of thought, yeah. I'm at the theater capital of, of the world. I'm in New York City. There's going to be these bustling programs in every school. And it really just isn't the case. There's been lots of budget cuts and everything's kind of supplemented mm. through after school programs. Um, so finding a full time position was challenging. Um, you know, when I was going through the process of getting certified and everything, everyone always told me, oh, get an English certification as well. So you'll be more marketable. And I always said, I don't, I don't want to teach anything else. Why would I get something else on my license? Cause then they're going to make me teach it. And I, I don't want to be that bitter old teacher who's teaching something just cause that's where the job was. So I've kind of was smart enough, I guess, on my own to realize just, just have your license, what you're willing to teach. So all that's on my license is performing arts. Uh, and I finally in New York found this school. Like I said, it was 300 kids. The school was two years old. Um, and it was a principal who's kind of known for doing things outside the box and asking for forgiveness rather than permission <laughs> when it came to building his school. And he just, when I spoke to him, he said, yeah, I just, I love theater. I think it's really good for kids. He said, I'm not a theater person, but I just, I love it. And I want it at my school. So I want someone that's going to just take this and run with it. So that's what I did. And for eight years, it was just, he kind of left me alone. Like after that first year, he saw I could do it and saw I was on the right track and he just kind of left me alone and gave me what I needed. And it was, I, I, I wish everyone could have that experience because I know not everyone does where the principal just kind of leaves you alone and lets you do what you want to do. Um, but yeah. So, and uh, so to answer your question, middle school has just always been what was available to me. And I, I just absolutely loved every second of it. That's great. That is great. Well, what was it like uh, moving from, from Oklahoma to New York um, <laughs> culture shift? And like, what was that like for you? Yes, definitely a culture shift. Um, <laughs> definitely felt like the, small fish in the big pond again um you know new york is wonderful in that you can walk out into thousands of people and feel anonymous feel like no one's paying attention to you i like that i like because everyone's doing their own thing they're moving a million miles an hour they're, they've got their places to be they're concerned with themselves and that allowed me to be concerned with myself um so that was really I, I love that kind of anonymity, I guess. Um, but in terms of school, I was working in, like I said, the Bronx and kind of, uh, I, I don't like all the terms that get thrown in into school districts, but some people would call it, you know, a, a low income area, at risk area, or, you know, whatever you want to call it. But so I was working with 100% students who did not look like me. Um, so that was a time to really listen and read and ask people who did not look like me, what do you need from your educators? Um, I'm lucky enough, my, my wife, if a uh, mixed woman, um, she has a black father and a white mother. And so I would go to her a lot and ask for 
guidance and and you know recommendations and some and, and not that necessarily that's her job to teach me but she was a resource mm -hmm. available to me mm -hmm. um and sometimes she would say you just need to read about it you need to look this up and read about it but really it was about listening and and learning like you said the learning curve um the kids i was teaching and the families i was interacting with um and there were definitely some moments where i was humbled um, because I was ignorant about things. Um, but you know, it's, it's about taking that experience and growing from it and applying it the next time. So you don't keep repeating the same mistakes. Well, I would imagine that what you just shared about, you know, learning your kids, learning about who they are, their world, um, and, and really doing that work, uh, yourself, to do that would be probably some of the, the early parts and early steps of not just being a good teacher, but building your program. Um, so what, what else was there involved in, in building a program that wasn't there to begin with? Oh, it's hard to go back to those, that first year <laughs> <laughs> because we, we have come so far, but if I'm, if I'm reaching back into the depths of my memory, it was first about building the school culture around theater, like making my school realize why a full-time theater teacher is necessary. And it's kind of annoying to have to do that. But, you know, you know, are always naysayers yeah. who wonder why, why do I get, you know, the same prep as everybody else? And, and why, is, why, why don't I have to do certain things other teachers have to do or, you know, why do I get this budget? You know, it's kind of having to prove yourself and make a name for yourself. Um, and so one thing I did early on was I just had the idea. We did The Wiz our first year as our spring musical. And I was like, I'm going to ask a teacher to like make a cameo appearance in The Wiz. So um, I asked a teacher to play Eveline. And she was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm down for that. And I, I don't mean that she just showed up, you know, two days before and learned her part. She was like entrenched in rehearsals, entrenched in music rehearsals, choreography, everything. And we didn't tell, the kids in the show knew, but we didn't tell anyone in the audience, we didn't tell anyone else in the school so that when she came out for that first entrance behind her fan and then removed the fan from her face, it was this huge like uproar to see, okay, the Baychester science teacher is in the play. And that kind of was the jumping off point for building the school culture with my teacher. Because after that, teachers started coming to me saying, who's, who's the teacher in the play next year? <laughs> they wanted to be the guest star. And it became a tradition. So we had guest stars in every production. Sometimes we would have more than one. I think at the most we had five when we did Greece. We had five teacher guest stars. And it became a thing they all wanted to do because they saw the reaction of the kids. And then it created this, you know, rumbling around the school. Who's it going to be? You know, and then the kids in the cast felt really special because they knew who it was, but they had to sign a contract, you know, a non-disclosure <laughs> agreement saying they wouldn't tell. And they stuck to it. I think one That's year awesome. it leaked. And I'm pretty sure I was able to, <laughs> I was, um, I was able to trace the kid it leaked from and he did it by accident, but um, so just, yeah, building that, that, uh, culture was the biggest challenge, but once we got over that hurdle, it was all bets off, you know, every mm -hmm. single teacher in the building and every single kid, whether they were involved or not, 
believed in what we were doing, believed in the program, couldn't wait to see it, couldn't wait to bring their family to it for the, you know, the day of the school show. It was, it was a cultural shift that had to happen first. And once you do that, then you've got people donating costumes, donating, you know, their talents and their time. Um, So that's really when it took off. I feel like is when every single person in the building bought into it. Yeah. Yeah. My, I, I hear, I mentioned this the other day in another interview. I, I hear my, the words of uh, my mentor, Matt Webster from UNC Charlotte, make yourself in, invaluable to the school. Put yourself in every aspect that you can in that school so everyone sees the importance of what you're doing. And then you're golden. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I remember when I when I interviewed for my last school, um, I, I ticked off uh, one of the, the guidance counselors who was in the interview. And I, I asked a question that she didn't think I should have asked. And for me, it was completely appropriate because I, I didn't want my classes to be the, the dumping ground because um, that's where I was currently at. And I didn't want to step from one place into another for the exact same thing. She didn't take too kindly to that because she took it as an attack on the guidance department and their scheduling. Um, so I didn't get the job initially. And then the guy who did just never responded, never did anything, never, it was a brand new school. So like he never ordered things for the theater. So the principal finally came back and offered me the position. He said, I should have gone with my gut to begin with. And you were who I wanted. Um, he said, you did, you did upset some people in the interview and you know, you might have bridges to mend for that when you get here, but you're who we want. And so I, I spent my time, you know, I, I wouldn't, I, I'm not a kiss up, but like I was, I was mending those bridges with her. Um, cause you need the guidance council. You need those guy the guidance department on your side. And finally, by the third year, when we did Joseph and the technical dream coat, she was my Mrs. Potiphar and she completely bought into, into what we were doing. And I, I, I sent her chocolates on opening night and she was like, Please. she came to me. She said, you know, it's all forgiven, right? Let's just move on. <laughs> I'm like, okay, good. <laughs> But yeah, so I, I love having teachers in, in, in the shows. It's always so much fun. I love it too. And favorite thing is when they when the teachers are way more nervous than the kids on opening yes. night. <laughs> and the kids are back there coaching them and pumping them up. And then they they always say, I have so much respect for these kids and how fearless they are and how hard they work. They're like, I was on stage for a two-minute cameo, you know, and these kids are unbelievable the just the tenacity and the fearlessness they have that's one of my favorite things to watch my favorite is they they're like i did not realize how much hard work was this like yeah (laughs) yeah it's a lot of work (laughs) um you mentioned about uh not not going for that that second certification in another area because you knew where your heart was you knew where your passion was Mm um i here in Illinois, I I have to encourage them to get that second licensure uh, in something. Um, and, of course, you know, the College of Ed is always pushing. It needs to be like English or uh, social studies or something that is, you know, a, like a core subject. And I don't tell them to, to do that. I tell them if you're going to get a cert- second certification, which you're not required to, you know, it needs to be in something that you actually care about because – if you're going to be in there teaching another subject, it needs to be something you're passionate about because those kids are going to see if that's where your heart is or not as well. 
Um, mm-hmm. So I, I I hope your your students coming up are, are not in that same position where they they have to choose something else. Uh, but if they do, it's I hope it's because it's something they want to do. Yeah, I I can't imagine waking up every day for hours that I know I'm about to put in and the amount of work it's about to be for the pay that I know it's going to be and not having that burning in my soul that, yes, I get to go do this today. I I can't imagine being in that position and maybe that's a privileged place to be. Um, But yeah, I mean, I, I think that's how we end up with not the best teachers sometimes. Absolutely. <laughs> they're teaching something they don't care about and right. they don't believe in. They don't believe can change the world because that's the thing. I'm very, people say I'm like idealistic sometimes. I, I, I School has the power to change lives and change the world. Um, but it's, it's about the right teacher with the right subject at the right time with the right kids, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you ever see yourself in higher ed? Yeah. <sighs> I started to, yeah, about midway through my career. Um, once I had, you know, five or six years under my belt and really felt like, okay, I kind of have a handle on this teaching thing. And I, I can see with my own eyes, I can see impact. And I'm now I'm getting the kids coming back, you know, they're in college and they were talking to me about impact. Like, okay, I think I'm where I'm supposed to be. How can I help other people get to this place? But I don't know, five or six years still didn't feel like enough time to build credibility. So I wanted to, I wanted to build my credibility and I wanted to stay where I felt like I needed to stay at that time in my life. But then I got to, you know, mentor some new teachers in my building. And I always loved that part of the job. I always loved. I love being in a classroom, whether it's an amazing teacher or a teacher when the class is out of control. I love being in there because I love the art. I love the craft of of seeing teacher moves and what works and what doesn't. It's kind of like when I said I use community theater for my training ground, I I use other teachers' classrooms as a training ground too. Um, So I I love being in a classroom watching teachers and then just saying, what about this? Why don't you try this? Or what would happen if you did this? You know, like just playing around with it because it is a craft. It is something Mm -hmm. that you have to practice. I mean, even when I come back from summer break, I feel a little rusty, you know? So it is certainly a, a tool set you have to keep sharp. So that just kind of naturally led to HUD um, for me um, and coming back to Oklahoma and starting to feel out like what positions were available. It was just kind of divine intervention or whatever that the job at my old university was available. And so I applied and started interviewing and that's kind of just where the universe led me. Awesome. So I'm, I'm excited. I, I did one I did one adjuncting class virtually last semester with college students and really loved it. Um, so I'm really excited to be in person, fingers crossed, in person. Um, yeah, and it's going to be another learning curve, you know, but I, I, I enjoy the challenge. I enjoy not getting too comfortable in one place and, and pushing myself to, to be better. What are you, uh, and I know you're, you just mentioned you're looking forward to being in person and the, and the new challenges, but what else are you looking forward to and what are you nervous about? Oh, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm really, I love being in the classroom. So I'm looking forward to observing my student teachers and coaching them 
because that'll be part of my job is traveling to whatever they've been placed in and, and, and watching them teach and giving them feedback and working with their principal and their mentor teacher. Um, so that really excites me. Uh, I, I mean, I'll be honest, I'm nervous about the, the older age group and them knowing more. And, you know, you can struggle with that, like imposter syndrome, like, uh, I've only been doing this 12 years. Do I know enough to impart something new to someone? And, um, but you know, I was, <laughs> like I said, I was adjuncting last semester and I was so nervous before that first class. And I was talking to my wife and I was like, I'm these kids that they're not kids, they're young adults and, <laughs> and they're 18, 19, 20, and they're going to know so much. And what do I have to teach them? And she kept saying, I think you're forgetting what it was like to be in college. And, and how little you actually know until you get out and have the world experiences on the job. And she was so right. And nothing against my students, if any of them are listening, they were amazing and taught me so much, but they had a lot to learn. And I, my experiences were valuable to them. I was able to share what I think of now as simple things that they had never thought of or had never been told. Um, so I, that does make me nervous. Is, and an imposter, do I know enough? And I just have to, you know, step back and take a breath and say, yes, I, I have lived a valuable professional career the last 12 years. I have learned a lot. I've learned from some of the most incredible colleagues and administrators and children and their families. And that's important. And that's something I can pass on. So um, that that's kind of where I am right now. And you know, talk to me in six months, it may change. <laughs> <laughs> no, that imposter syndrome is real. And, and, uh, I, I hope, um, you don't battle with it, uh, like I have. Um, cause I, I, every year I wonder what, who am I to, to tell them how to prepare? But, but you, you made the point that, you know, you do have that ex- wealth of experience under your belt and it's never going to feel like it's enough. Um, but, whoever hired you saw the right fit and it's important to trust that. And, yeah. um, I don't know, I don't know about you, but I, I missed, I miss, uh, it, I still miss, uh, but that first, those first couple of years, I missed my kids so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't miss, um, the, the bureaucracy and I, I like to call it the crap of school. Um, I didn't miss any of that, but I missed the work I did with my kids every single day. Um, but it's, and for me, it took a while to realize I'm still having an impact on even those students, you know, um, that I'm, I'm training those people who are going to be leading those kids. Um, so for me, it, it took a little while to, to really wrap my head around, um, the importance of what I'm doing now and mm-hmm. um, the value that is there and the impact I'm still having on those younger kids. So I just, I, I wish you all the best with that. And I have loved every minute of it. That first year was hard, just figuring out who do I need to talk to when I need X, Y, or Z um, and navigating the university system itself. But um, I, I have loved it. I've loved it. Thank you. Um I'm I'm very excited. I re- I really am very excited, and the possibility of like I said, training new teachers who will then go out and continue that that ripple effect I think is is pretty cool. Well, you are also a writer, correct? 
You've got a published I, da- play, I dabble. <laughs> some articles. Talk to me. Talk to me about yeah. what, what you've got out there. Uh, yeah, I dabble in writing. I've always enjoyed <laughs> it. I've never, never pursued a career in it. But, um, gosh, I don't know how it started. Really, um, I've always just written for myself. You know, never really shared things with people. Um, and then. I don't even know what year it was, maybe six, seven years ago. That could be wrong. Um, I still keep in touch with all my friends at my old community theater. Um, basically my second parents who raised me. So, um, but now we have like an adult friendship relationship, which is kind of strange. Um, but one of my friends, Cheryl Critchfield, um, who's the president of that theater now, um, said something just kind of off the cuff about, directing the upcoming Christmas show and how there's like five Christmas plays that they just keep cycling through because there's just not really a lot out there. You know, you've got the best Christmas pageant ever. You got Scrooge, you got uh, whatever, a Christmas Carol, It's a Wonderful Life. Um, And just kind of wanting something fresh and new. So I was like, well, I'll try to write something. And I've always old TV. My dad always kind of watched the old black and white shows with me he's a big fan of like three stooges and dick van dyke and the honeymooners and you know when i got my first 13 inch tv in my bedroom you know nick at night is what i fell asleep to so lucy and all that stuff i i always have just physical comedy and i just thought well i would love to take that kind of spirit of physical comedy and farce and write a christmas show with it so that's what i did and I think it turned out really good and it was cool because it was kind of the workshop process. Uh, Cheryl, when she was directing would call me or write me and say, you know, we're in rehearsal, we're working on this scene and there's like an inconsistency here with this line or something, or, you know, this isn't working. Uh, The physical isn't working. Like it's impossible to do. So I was tweaking while they were rehearsing and sending new pages and, um, then the play opened and I got to go see it and I got to take notes while I was watching it with a real audience. And, um, so it's a pretty cool experience. And once I kind of got it, to, I, was, I just sent it to a few publishers and it got, it got up by Heartland Plays. And um, so it's out there now and can be licensed by any community theater school. Um, so that was a pretty cool experience. Um, and, and I still write, you know, for pleasure and, um, I've written a couple other plays that aren't quite ready to be seen <laughs> by people, but um, yeah, I love I love to do it. It's a great way to get ideas out of my head in in a tangible way. Um, and then I had an old a seventh grade teacher who is now um, a university professor, um, Shelby Witty, who reached out to me and just said, uh, "The National Council for Teachers of English is publishing, you know, this journal article, and it's all about arts education. Would you?" like to take a stab at an article. I said, sure. So I, I wrote a thing and sent it and that got um, published. And um, it's it's not anything I, I pursue like professionally, like I said, it's just something that I love to do and brings me joy, so. Awesome. Well, what's the name of your play that, that is out there with Heartland? It's called Have Yourself a Crazy Little Christmas. And it's really fun and it's, it's, it's uh, you know, in the tradition of American theater, it's about a dysfunctional family, um, about a woman who's for the first time hosting Christmas for her family at her house instead of her parents hosting it. And so her wanting it to go perfectly. And, and you know, just ask myself, what are all the things that could go wrong for this woman and just make them happen and 
turn the, the, the knob up about a hundred degrees. And so, um, it's, it's, you know, it's very farcical. It's in the spirit of, like I said, those old TV shows, but also like noises off. Um, it's, 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 it's a fun show. I'd love to hear one or two of your favorite stories from your career so far. Um, funny story, a horror story, one of those touching poignant moments, anything at all. I'll, I'll, I'll stick, I'll stay positive. I'll, I'll avoid the horror stories because <laughs> I, I know every teacher has their own. I don't want to scare anyone away from the best profession in the world. Cause it really is. <laughs> um, uh, so one thing I was, I tried to do uh, at my school in New York was really just not come in and say, I'm going to do this and this, and I'm going to make this difference not come in with my own agenda, but really, like I said, step back and just watch and listen and see where the needs are um, and figure out how I can be a part of filling those needs. So um, our second year, uh, we did The Little Mermaid as our spring musical. And uh, the girl who played Ariel was wonderful. And we had opening night, bows, um, kids were backstage hanging at their costume. People were in the lobby taking pictures. Um, and I, I wanted to see her and tell her how great she did. And I could not find her anywhere. And so I went backstage, her costume was all hung. And, and I started asking around, have you seen so-and-so? And everyone's like, she left. I said, she left? She's not even out here like hugging people or getting her picture taken. So I kind of like ran out the door and chased her, ran down the block to where I knew the bus stop was and found her about halfway there and i said what what are you doing you're the star everyone wants to see you she's like oh there's nobody here for me like there's, there's nobody here to see me tonight um and i said but everyone else's you know family wants to see you and tell you how great you did she's like no it's okay it's okay and that was kind of like an eye-opening moment for me that not every kid has someone there rooting them on hmm. i i'm almost 36 years old. And I don't think my parents have ever missed Even if I was like pulling the curtain, they were there every night with flowers, <laughs> you know, yeah. even, even when I moved to New York and was directing middle school plays, they would fly out every June for the play. That's the, that's the world I grew up in. So it didn't even strike me that the lead of my show would not have anyone there in the audience for it. So that was kind of a moment for me, like, okay, here's a need. What can I do to, to help this never happen again. So I kind of spent the summer brainstorming and then I came up with, and I, I'm probably not the first person to do this, but um, I came up with this, this program we called Adopt an Actor. And um, it was the list, the cast list went out to my full staff um, once it was posted. And any staff member, teacher, principal, secretary, whoever could choose as many kids as they wanted to adopt and they would sign up for them. And what an adoption entailed was, one, you checked in with the kid um, throughout the rehearsal process. Are you keeping your grades up? How's rehearsal going? Do you need anything? You know, kind of checked in with them just informally. Um, and then they were there on opening night for that kid and they had flowers and a card for that kid. Um, the, the flowers and card would be delivered to the kid backstage before the performance saying, I'm in the audience, please come see me after the show. You know, I'm here for you, I'm rooting for you. I can't wait to see you in the show. Um, so that every kid knew someone was there to see them specifically. Um, and that to me was a really simple thing that I was able to just sort of orchestrate. I didn't even do it, I just orchestrated it. 
my staff did the rest of it. Um, and it made a huge difference. It made, I never had an issue again with anyone feeling like they didn't have anyone there to hug after the show. So that was kind of a, one of, one of my favorite things. That just melted my heart. That's really, I love that. <laughs> I love that so much. I, I had a, not nearly as, as, as great as that, but I had, I had a system where I, they had to check out with me before they left each night. Um, and that was my way of, you did a fabulous job tonight. You know, if no mm-hmm. one else was there for them, they saw me and they knew that I saw their work that night and that I appreciated yeah. it. And and it was great for me to meet parents, you know, cause the night that caregivers were there, they, they'd come up with them and they'd hear me compliment them right in front of them. And I'd introduce myself to the, the caregivers. So I think it's important for, for each kid to know how appreciated they are. And I, I, I love that adopt an actor system. I bet there are teachers right now <laughs> scribbling that down to put into effect this year. So please steal it. I don't, I probably wasn't inventor of it, but, um, and, and it was funny because I, when we first started with that first year, I was like, are the boys going to like flowers? Like, should I think of something else for the boys? And I was like, no, we'll just do flowers and see how it goes. And another story, if you have time for it, it kind of goes, goes along with that. We had a boy the next year during Greece. He was not a part of the show. He was not in the cast, not in the crew. Um, but just started hanging around rehearsals. I'd see him in the hallway. He'd come with a friend. And normally it's a closed rehearsal. But for some reason, I let this boy in. I don't know why. I, I Maybe I just didn't want to deal with it. Um, he was kind of labeled. He had a label, you know, amongst the school as like a troublemaker or whatever. But he would just show up at rehearsals and not cause any issues. And about three or four rehearsals in, he was like, can I, can I press play button like when you need the music to play i was like oh yeah sure because i haven't assigned sound people yet yeah go ahead that'd be super helpful so he just kind of made that his job and I, there was it was never a formal discussion he just unofficially became our sound person <laughs> i don't know <laughs> uh, it's never happened before or since it was just like a really weird thing and then um he's he i forget i forget the exact timeline of it but there was a conversation he and I had to have about if you're going to be a part of this, like you've got to make sure your grades are at the level that your behavior is at this level, you know, because we do hold our, our cast and crew to a, a standard so they can be a part of, of the production. Mm-hmm. So it became a, at first an informal agreement between me and him. And then we made it formal and he had a tracker that he would take to his classes and his teachers would sign off. Yes, he participated. Yes, he's, you know, whatever, didn't call out or whatever. And, but he did have this persona as like a tough guy. So we did Grease. He ran our sound from the booth. He did a great job. He got his flowers and card on opening night because the crew got them too. Um, And I saw like in the group, I saw him kind of like roll his eyes and scoff or whatever. Um, But the the actually the person who had adopted him that year was our assistant principal liz and she told me when she was leaving the play she was driving down the street and she drove past this and saw this boy sitting on the bench sniffing like smelling his flowers rereading his card over and over she said she just stopped at the light and watched him do it for a couple minutes and i was like okay 
So this is this is definitely something that everybody appreciates and loves, even if they don't show it in front of their their friends. That is awesome. That's really cool. I love that. These are my favorite. This is my favorite part of the interview is hearing these stories. So I, I appreciate that. Sure. Um, I think the, the this question I've got for you right now is is really important um, as you're moving into this new position, um, and I don't ask it very often, but I, I I think it's it's a I'm eager to hear your response. Um, what uh, what about the stuff that 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 really can't be taught um, in college to prep a, a theater teacher going into the classroom? What is it? What's one of those things that you had to learn on your feet that your your professors couldn't prepare you for? Mm. Oh, there's probably a list of them. <laughs> I mean, well, first, I would say, first of all, your your management style. Man, I mean, classroom management, I think, is, is the key to a successful classroom program, whatever. Um, and I had classes on classroom management. I read books on it. But really when that door closes and you've got 30 sets of eyes looking at you and you're the only adult in the room and their parents have entrusted me to not only teach them, but to keep them safe and to guard their minds and all this stuff that, that responsibility is so huge and no amount of content knowledge or passion (laughs) can make up for bad classroom management. And I thought I had a good handle on classroom management that first year, but it wasn't enough. I had to really, really, really practice it. And like I said, observe great teachers doing it. And and you do have to, to role play it. The school I was at in New York, we at staff meetings, we would role play with our colleagues different situations. So I would be up on my feet as the teacher, they would be students and we would role play different situations. And it, it feels silly with with adults, but it's, it's just like rehearsing a play. The more you practice, the more you are prepared for these situations. Um, and I had to find, my principal dubbed my style as warm strict, um, very, very structured, very, I don't know if I would use the word strict, but definitely high expectations, um, but delivered with a warmth that everyone knew the reason for these expectations was because we have a job to do here and anything that's outside of these expectations gets in the way of our job. And we're all in this together and we're all going to be mutually respectful of each other. Um, and and that, that was just something that is trial and error, honestly, like for me. I had to find my tone. I had to find my face. It's a performance every day. And you want to be real. You want to be authentic because they can sniff that out too if it's not authentic. <laughs> but um, definitely, definitely like ba- finding that balance uh, was something that I just don't think you can learn until you do it. And I don't think you perfect it until many, many years. <laughs> I had a about seven years in, I had a girl that wrote me a note that said, Mr. A, why do you hate me? Every time I raise my hand, you sigh. And then she just left me the note. And at first I was like, so annoyed by it, to be honest with you. 
But I was like, okay, what is my face doing that I'm not realizing? Because clearly some, something I'm projecting to this young woman is making her feel this way. So I, I wrote her a note back. That, that's the way she wanted to communicate. I wrote her a note back and I said, I do not hate you. I love having you in class. And then I, I said, I'm sorry that something I did made you feel that way. I will work on it. So that's also something that I feel like sometimes teachers are maybe afraid to do is to apologize mm -hmm. or to admit mistakes because I think they think it's going to make them lose the power. But I've found just the opposite. I've found yeah. it really, it really humanizes you and makes students feel like it's okay to mess up mm -hmm. in your class. You know, it's not, this is not going to be a perfect year together. We are all going to fumble, including me. So another thing, just, you know, really, um, being obviously having boundaries for what you share and don't share as as an adult to kid as teacher to student just professionally but the more you can kind of let them into you as a human i feel like is such a key to building those relationships having that management so then you can really get down to work and do the fun stuff yeah you know that that's that's kind of some stuff i just had to learn on the job I, I appreciate you sharing that because I that's one that's one of the things that I share with my students is they'll, they'll inevitably ask me well, what if you mess up I said well what if you do apologize admit I I messed up I'm 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 learning and I will do better going forward um, and for me I would always have that one on one moment with that kid to do that but if and specifically if I messed up in front of the whole class with that kid. I apologize in front of the whole class. Absolutely. There, there's some quote, I don't know who said it, but the the level of apology needs to match the level of the disrespect, something along those lines. Mm -hmm. So if it's, if it's public disrespect, whether you meant it or not is right. irrelevant. The, the apology should be public, in my opinion. I agree. I agree. And I think there's something so powerful, too, for male teachers um, to to show emotion, to, to show vulnerability. You know, those, those are things that I feel honored that I get to model for my, for all my students is that, um, sometimes I'm sad and sometimes it comes out this way and, you know, some, I make mistakes and it comes out this way. Um, I had a situation, um, where my cousin was very, very sick, like maybe not going to make it. And um, I had to go to work and it was one of the, it was like all right here, you know, all the emotions just right here. And I was like, if I don't share with my class that I'm feeling this way, it's going to come out in the wrong way. So I started each class. I had six at that time by saying, this is what's going on. This is how I'm feeling today. And most times I teared up and cried when I said it. Um, and there was nothing more, sweet about uh, about the way the the kids reacted that they were so kind and they were there for me that day you know they were so understanding and and just really shifted their energy that day to to support me mm -hmm. um and i think i think they appreciate that you know that i'm a human and that 
sometimes bad things happen and that, that we're here for each other. Yeah. I, I remember we were doing wizard of Oz, um, and there was just so much going on in my personal life outside of the building. I, I, I was, I had split up with my partner for a long time. I, my, my dog had literally just died. I mean, it was like a bad country song going literally in my life right then. And mm-hmm. it was manifesting in lots of different ways that the kids were picking up on. And I, the, there were the other theater teacher, my, 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 my partner in crime there at the school, she, she pulled me aside and she said, you need to level with them. She said, you don't need to tell them everything, but you need to let them know that you have a lot going on and that you don't care any less for them and that you're not dropping the ball on this show, but you just have a lot going on. And so I, I did that after rehearsal one day and like they rallied, like, I mean, they, they became my rock and they don't even, they don't even know they did that, you know? And like, they all stepped up to come in extra hours to paint or whatever it looked like for them that they could help relieve the burden for me. Um, so I, yeah, you've got to be vulnerable. Sometimes you don't have to tell them everything. They don't need to know everything. You shouldn't. (laughs) Right. But, but being vulnerable and leveling with them and reminding them that you're a human too, um, is important for them. And absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I just I'm so excited by the future of uh, of theater education. I think there's a lot of interesting conversations happening now in the professional world about it, um, and I I'm just excited the direction it's going to go. And I think I think our secondary teachers have such opportunity to uh, to really be uh, what's the word. Um, I keep wanting to say decisive. That's not the right word. Intentional. Really be intentional about the shows they choose, the way they cast the shows, the, uh, you know, all all those things that they have the opportunity to really use educational theater for. Because let's face it, as much as we think we're creating Broadway productions, we're not. We're te- nope. we're we're te- we're doing educational theater. And I think there's so much more freedom in that, to be honest with you. And I think we, as, as secondary teachers, need to create the world we want to see in the professional world. I think that's, that's, our, that's our luxury and that's our opportunity to do. And I'm going to take what you just said a little step further and mm-hmm. remind myself and remind you um, as the trainer of those teachers that we're now looked to to set that tone and and we we have that awesome privilege and responsibility uh to to create that culture in our classrooms which will then lead to cultures in other classrooms um so but yeah i i 100 agree with you and i think i think our students um are much are so much more passionate and in tune with the world and with uh with politics and with just treating people with kindness. I mean, uh, caring about the emotional well-being of our of our students and young people. So I think, I think there's there's lots of good coming coming out. And and I don't think I think it's important that we don't boast about it, you and I. Um, but that that it is something that we do get to celebrate that we have a hand in that too. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 
Well, sir, what is a resource that you use or have used that is a must-have for theater teachers? Okay. Um, well, in terms of text that I think every teacher should read, um, I started with very basic, but the first days of school by Harry and Rosemary Wong. Um, there are some things that are a little antiquated, but I think there's a lot of really, really good practical information in that text, just in terms of even setting up your classroom and um, seating charts and just really, I think first year teachers, if you just want like the checklist to go through, I think start there and use that to formulate your own style. Um, beyond that, um, I've had a lot of, uh, I've had a lot of success with Doug Lamov and uh, his practice, it's called Teach Like a Champion. Um, there's lots of books about it. There's lots of videos on YouTube. If you just search Doug Lamov, Teach Like a Champion. Um, just really, again, practical teacher moves um, for um, elevating class discussions, for managing student behavior, for um, de-escalating a situation. Um, I think those are two really, really good places to start. Um, beyond that, I always just tell people, get in as many classrooms as you can. Like on your preps or on your lunch break, pop into a teacher's classroom, sit in the back and just be a fly on the wall and watch the students too. Like watch what they're doing, watch where their eyes are, watch watch the off task behavior. And not as, not as a judgment, but it, it helps you plan when you know when you can be proactive about um you know about what you're seeing in in different classrooms um i've learned i probably have learned more from doing that than from anything else just watching great teachers struggling teachers and everything in between um there's value in all of it awesome those are great thank you um, and then my final question is, what are your parting words of wisdom for the new teacher entering the field this year or that veteran teacher just needing an encouraging word right now? I would say, well, I've already kind of touched on it. Be authentic, be yourself, because that's the, that's the, the best thing you can give a kid is, is to be real. And you're not going to have a life-changing impact on every kid. You're not going to maybe connect with every kid um but you will connect with at least one or more and you will be exactly what some of those kids need at that time in their life so i think if you can just settle into you're not there to save the world um you're there to be a light for someone um that that would be my first thing probably um the other thing is I've kind of over the years, and this is hard to maybe put into to practical terms, but I've kind of shifted away from, I am the beholder of the knowledge and I am imparting it to you, you underlings who have so much to learn from me. You know, that's really, I don't think, that's, that's the old school way yeah. of doing school. And I just don't think that's where the value is. And I don't think that's where the future of education is. Once I was able to make the mindset shift to, we're all in this space together for this finite amount of time. Um, and I'm steering the ship, but 
I'm steering you towards where I want to go. But sometimes you make the call and you're leading us in a different direction. Let's, let's chase that rabbit and let's go there. Um, you know, going in with the plan, but being flexible enough to take the teachable moments and, uh, and let kids really take ownership over their own education. Um, no matter how you get to the end goal, it's important that you get there. And once I made that shift, I just saw so much more excitement in my classroom and, and joy to be there. Um, the kids always felt safe in good hands, but they knew that there were options for how they were going to learn. And they knew that this was going to be tailored to them. And it varied class to class and it varied group to group. And it's a lot more work for teachers, but it's a lot more enriching for kids. You know, my, my principal at my last school, Sean Mangar, um, told me that his theory is whoever's doing the talking is doing the learning. So when I'm up there lecturing long-winded like I'm doing right now, they're not getting as much out of that as they could when they're the ones having the discussions and they're the ones figuring things out and stumbling and failing and trying new things. Um, so that, that would be my other word of wisdom, um, you know, work on your economy of language and uh, really light the fire, but then let the flames go where they go. That's awesome. That's great. I, every single semester after my, my first level, my, my, my freshman group that comes in at, when I get my, my course evaluations back, they always put, there's always someone who puts in there that they wished I would do more lecturing I'm like, no, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> First, that's not who I am, and I don't. I don't like doing those, you know, hour and a half one man shows where you just sit and write down everything I say because you're not learning anything from that. You might think you are, but you're really not. So yeah, they they think that's what they want because that's <laughs> what they probably had their whole life, yeah. and it's it's honestly it's easier for students when it's just a lecture. But that's not our goal is to make it, quote unquote, easy. Our goal is to make true learning happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you, Colin, for, for, for chatting with me today. And uh, I, I wish you all the best as you enter this new, uh, new chapter of your, your career and your life. And I wish you all the best with that. And if I can be a resource for anything, I haven't been doing it long. But if I can do anything to support and help, please do not hesitate to know. Thank you so much. I will take you up on that offer. And that is a wrap for this episode of Fed Talks. Thank you so much for checking out this episode. Tune in next week for the next one. We have so many great teachers coming up and so many that have already been with us. So if you are not already subscribed to the podcast, go on your favorite podcast provider, subscribe to us, rate us, leave us five stars, review us. More importantly, share the podcast with those theater educators in your life who you think could benefit from what we're doing here on the show. Visit our website, www.fedtalks.com for the pages for all the teachers who have been on our show. Email me at fedtalkspodcast at gmail.com. If you have an idea for a future guest on the show or suggestions or topics that you'd like to have on the show, email me. I love interacting with you on there and I always follow up. Follow us on all of the social media that's out there. We are out there on Twitter at Theater Ed Talks. On Facebook, we have a Fed Talks page and Instagram Fed Talks Podcast. Once again, our website is www.fedtalks.com. Thank you, teachers, for all that you do. Thank you for listening. Continue to be the lights that you are and changing all those lives. I appreciate you. Take care.